2 Peter chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. All right. All right. I thought I thought Christmas was going to be the line in the sand, but I guess New Year's is the one where we see the who are really for real. You know, this is it. All right, amen, amen. Um, and the New Year, are we good there? Say amen if we're there. Amen. All right. The New Year is always a time that people do what? They resolve, right? And uh, they resolve to become the new and improved you. And uh, New Year's is a time when we kind of like check in. We check in about our health. We check in about our habits. We check in about how we want to improve ourselves or improve our life. And um, I'm going to tell you what's on my heart, church, and what I think 2023 has to be and why I'm literally like dragging myself here to preach this message. I feel like it's that important for us to think about. 2023, oh, I lost power there. 2023 should be, don't, don't be cheap on me today, sound guys. I love you, but don't be, there we go. I'll move this up. 2023 should be a time and a year when we as a church resolve to grow. I don't mean grow in size. I mean grow in maturity. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. <clears throat> the Bible says, 2 Peter 3, 17, Ye therefore, beloved... Seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So the Bible actually commands us, actually commands believers to grow. Not an option, a command to grow. Now go to Ephesians chapter 4. Now that I opened the bottle, let me actually take a sip of this bottle. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 15. Apostle Paul to the church, but speaking the truth in love, speaking about us, the brethren, the body, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Paul says the church is supposed to grow up. Are you growing? Are you growing? You can answer out loud. Are you growing? (laughs) Amen. I hope you are. Because if you're not growing, what on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? If an organism isn't growing, there's a problem. If a body isn't growing, there's a problem. If a baby isn't growing, there's a problem. If a Christian isn't growing, there's a problem. It's not cute when you see a teenager in a stroller. It's cute when you guys roll in your little ones in a stroller, but if that little one is 14, 15, 35, and still sitting with a foot hanging out of the stroller, you're going to go, wow, there's something wrong with that. And there's a lot of Christians that are still sucking on a bottle, that still need to be changed, that still need to be spanked, that are just not growing. And we should endeavor to grow. And the message today is simply this. Your spiritual check-in. That's what this is. Your spiritual check-in. I'm going to ask you seven questions. I heard a brother in Missouri that I listened to preach a message similar to this a few months ago, and I was like, wow. So I took some of those thoughts. I kind of took it in a different direction, but I want to call this your spiritual check-in. And as you go through these questions, it's going to help you see where you are 
and where you need to grow so you can make some good resolutions this year. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the strength to stand here today, Lord. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. You're worthy of all our attention, all our love, all our honor, all our praise. We love you today, Father. We pray for those that couldn't be here, for those that should be here, for those that are here, Father. May your word hit us where it needs to hit us, Lord, and let us see Jesus Christ today and grow, Lord, grow. Stretch out beyond our comfort zones and grow into all you want us to be as a church, as individuals, as a family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, ready for question number one? Question number one, that's one of you. Question number one, to see if you're growing. Do you love God and the Bible more today than the day you got saved? I'll ask that again. Do you love God and the Bible more today than the day you got saved? Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Look at verse 23. John 14, 23. Got it? Say amen. Amen. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Is the Bible precious to you today? Are, Are you observing the words of God more or less today than when you got saved? I know in the beginning it's like, wow, 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 wow. You're doing everything you can because you're seeing it. And then you get too smart for God. You get too wise for God. You lose that hunger to know what God said. You're like, kind of like, I got this, God. I'll see you on the other side. When it's something grievous, I'll change. I'll, I'll adjust. But you know what? I don't need to hang on every word. I don't need to make such a big deal out of the Bible. But you should be making more of a deep, big deal out of the Bible. Amen? Look at verse 24. See it? He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. <laughs> There is a direct correlation between your love for the Bible and your love for God. There is no way around that. Much like somebody who loves Shakespeare, you know what they're going to love? They're going to love Shakespeare's words. Because that's how they know about him. That's how they appreciate him. That's how they see his mind. This is your father's mind. This is your father's heart. How can you tell me you love God and you don't love this book? You don't hang on the words of this book? You don't keep them and, and make them precious? I don't just mean you keep them, that you don't change them. I mean that you hold on to them. Like a keepsake, like a valuable, like something important to you, like that new gift you got last week that you're sporting right now, that you just kind of want to say, wow, this is important to me. Listen, look at First Peter chapter 2. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I want to challenge you. Do you love the Bible more today than the day you got saved? First Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> When you get there, say amen. amen. Oh, wow. Fast one over here. 1 Peter 2, 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile. Now, verse 25 of the previous chapter has been about the word of God. 25 is, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. So the context is the word of God. Ready? Because of this word that gave you the gospel, because of this word that endures forever, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, that's bad stuff, as newborn babes, 
desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. He doesn't direct that verse at a newborn babe. He says you should be as a newborn babe. You should have the same hunger that a newborn babe has for that bottle you should have for the Bible. It should be increasing. It should be growing. You should be thriving, like they say about the baby. Like, oh, the only time in your life it's exciting to be fat. They say, oh, she's thriving. Or, you know, they look at you and say, you're fat. They look at the baby and say, oh, you're thri- I'm thriving. I'm thriving today. But, you know, with the Bible, you should delight yourself in fatness, right? You should be thriving. You should be hungry, right? If so be, you've tasted Have you tasted anything out of this book that's good? Is God's goodness making you hungrier? Or are you spoiling your appetite on junk? You see verse 1, he says malice and envy and all that bad stuff that gets in your heart. You know what that stuff does? It clogs you up. It gives you an appetite for junk. And you don't have a hunger for the truth. It's like when you eat a donut, you don't want to have, you know, you don't want to have a steak after a donut, maybe because the sugar and all that junk, right? That was for you, Vin. All right, we got, right? That's, you want good stuff? You got to get used to eating good stuff. I got notes for my wife, who's in the back right there. It's good to see you, honey. I got notes for my wife and things that my wife wrote me when we first, you know, started dating, courting, whatever it was we were doing, right? You know, he's getting to know each other. We first got married. That's when our relationship started, But now that I know her 20 plus years and love her more now, those little words, those little notes, those little cards should be more precious, shouldn't they? I know it was exciting when you first got saved, but if you know Jesus Christ for any length of time and your relationship has grown, shouldn't you love the Bible more? Shouldn't you read it more? Shouldn't you memorize it more? Shouldn't you be looking to apply it more? I don't know. Am I the only one that thinks that way? Spurgeon said, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. It just never gets old. It never gets boring. I was reading through some Ezekiel this morning, and you say, Ezekiel? Oh, yeah, Ezekiel 25 to 35 in there, where it's like you don't know which way is up. And I was getting some good stuff. I was seeing stuff I never saw before. I was like, wow, Lord, this is great. How many times you come through the Bible, you always get something new. So number one, to check your spiritual growth, what's your attitude towards this book? Do you love it more today than when you got saved? Let's go to number two. Second question, go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1. 2 Thessalonians 1. There we go. Second question. You ready? All right. Somebody ready? Amen? Amen. <laughs> Do you trust the promises of God more today than the day you got saved? Now, over there in Luke 17, the apostles said something pretty scary to the Lord, if you think about it. They said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. They wanted to trust Jesus Christ more. They wanted to be able to believe him more. They wanted to be able to really trust and lean on his promises more. And I was telling this to my my kids last night, you know, sometimes when you ask to grow, God has to lay some weight on the rack, 
You know, there is no pain, no gain, right? You don't get stronger by just sitting there in inertia. You know, you get stronger by having stress put on you and feeling pain and getting broken and getting put back together. So the disciples, they didn't know what they were asking, but they were asking for an increase in faith. And we sing a song. We don't have our hymnals. But page 257 is a song called Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, isn't it? Isn't it sweet to trust in him and know he... Well, the chorus of that song says, Oh, for grace to trust him more. Don't you want to trust him more this year? Don't you want to trust him with bigger things? Don't you want to trust him with everything? I just want to trust him with everything this year. That's, that's a sign of growth. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. You know what excited him? He said, wow, you guys are laying hold on the promises. Wow, you guys are just trusting God more and more. The more I give you, the more you trust. It's like, wow, he was excited. He says, this is me. This is fitting. I should be rejoicing because you're trusting God more. That would make my heart sing. That would make the Savior's heart sing to look over this congregation and say, wow, this guy's trusting his time with God. This one's trusting his finances with God. This time's trusting his family with God. Your faith should be growing exceedingly. That causes people to praise God. How'd you get saved? You got saved by trusting a promise from God. Like a good old Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You trusted a promise from God. You hung your soul on that. And if you're saved, say amen. Amen. You grow spiritually by trusting the promises of God more and more. You didn't stop when you walked in the door at salvation. You're supposed to keep trusting, keep believing, keep leaning. Go to Psalm chapter 9. Let me show you something. Psalm chapter 9. Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Psalm 9 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Amen, 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 amen. Have you ever crawled into those arms? Amen. Amen. (laughs) Verse 10. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. The ones that know God are supposed to be the ones trusting God more than the ones that don't know God. Doesn't that make sense? If I trusted you and believed you when I barely knew you, shouldn't I trust you more now that our relationship has grown? You trusted God to get saved and you didn't even know Him. Now that you know Him, shouldn't you be able to cast everything at His feet? Shouldn't you be able to cast all his care upon him? Because now you know that he careth for you. Go to Proverbs 3.5. Here's the, maybe the third most popular verse in all the Bible. This one might be underneath uh, John 3.16, Proverbs 3.5. You don't have to turn there. You got like a, a thumb mark worn out over there because all the cards, you rewrote that verse to put in somebody's card. Now you just buy a card with the verse written in it already. Proverbs 3.5 says, 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Can I ask you this? If you're growing, shouldn't God be getting more of your heart? Right? You should be falling more in love with Him, believing Him more. If He's getting more of your heart, shouldn't God be getting more of your trust? That's growth. Question number three. Let's go to Colossians 1. Just moving right along here. Just some, we're just talking, just having some questions with you. First question, do you love the Bible more today? Second question, do you trust God more today? Third question. Again, this is our spiritual check-in on January 1st, 2023. 2023. That was like something like Duck Dodgers. and the, like, That was like cartoons talked about 2023, 2022, right? And it's, we're here, folks. We are here. We are at the doors. No matter how you count 2,000 years, we're close to him coming back. I don't care if it's five years away, one year away. We're close. You better start growing. You better take this checklist and do some inventory today or this week and search your heart and say, Lord, I want to be ready for when you come. Third question. Do you understand who you are in Christ more today than when you first got saved. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When you read through Paul's writings to the churches, you know what so much he's talking about? So much of Paul's writing to the churches are about who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the writing to the churches uses the expression in Christ over 70 times. We've got great verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Do you know who you are? <laughs> like, do you know who you are? Do you know what God did to you when you got saved? Look at verse 25 of the same chapter. 25. Paul says, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. You know what so much of the work of the ministry is? So much of the work of the ministry is making believers see who they are in Jesus Christ. Not just from the pulpit on Sunday or on Thursday. Discipleship one. Discipleship two, conversations with your kids, ladies' meetings, men's meetings. You know what it's all about? Getting you to understand who you are in Christ. 
Because if you really understood who you are according to this book, it would change your life. It would change your perspective. It would change your passions. It would change your purpose. If you really understood, like the old man, Pastor Mel, used to say, that you're the aristocracy of Christ, you're the aristocracy of heaven, if that got through your thick, kapatos head, you would live differently. You would see your place in the world differently. You, would, you know what I've been telling my kids? My kids play basketball. I've been telling them, you go to that team you're there to play basketball, do well, listen to the coach, but you're a missionary to those people around you. Amen. Right? You're see- I'm not even talking about evangelism right now. I'm just talking about you seeing who you are in Christ, the riches that you have, the future that you have, the, the, the eternal ceiling that you have, the, the heavenly calling that you have, all these things that God has just freely given to you. If, you. if you got it, you'd blow the roof off this place and go turn the world upside down. But uh, a baby knows nothing when he's born, right? They don't know who he is. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they came from. They don't know where they're going. And listen, a believer knows nothing when he or she is born again. You've got to know so you can grow. You've got to learn so you can grow. And uh, a church, whether it's meeting here or in a school or in a field, church is where you're supposed to come and learn this book so you can be all God wants you to be. So you can grow up into Christ. It's not about, you know, feeling good. It's not about getting relevant messages. It's not about fixing your family. Those things are a byproduct of you learning who you are in Christ. See, people, I'll get off, I'll get back in a second. People want to use God. God, fix this. God, fix that. When you're done fixing it, I'll I'll call you when the next thing breaks. God says, no, I want to fix you, and then I'll fix everything about you outside your life. But you've got to start to learn who you are in Christ. You've got to grow in grace and knowledge. And then you realize, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to go there. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to say that. I'm a you got to know who you are in Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Making any sense to anybody? Challenging message to me. Or I would have just hit snooze. Called Stephen at 7.30 in the morning. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. You know, we've got in the body of Christ today, we've got an epidemic of orphans. Christians don't know anything. They don't know Genesis from Revelation. They don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know what God did to them. They don't know where they're going. They don't, and I'm talking about the ones that profess Christ. They don't know anything. They don't know who their father is. That's why I said it's an epidemic of orphans. They're walking around born again, but they don't know anything. They don't know who their father is. They don't know what their father wants from them. They don't have any connection to their father because they don't know anything about this book, which is God's communication to his children. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles, that was the early church, and some prophets, that was the early church, and some evangelists, we still have some of those, and some pastors and teachers. That's where we are today. That's where the body of truth resides. Why? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come 
in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind and uh, uh, every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Nobody knows anything. I wonder if I can get up here and talk you out of stuff. I wonder if somebody would knock on your door this week and be able to talk you out of things that you believe. You got churches, I could, th- I could take a rock and probably hit one from here that just are so backwards doctrinally, they don't know where God's doing, what God's doing, what God's timeline is like, where we are in God's plan. And if you don't know that, you're going to make a mess of everything you believe. If you think the church replaced Israel, you're shot. You just throw throw the Bible out. You're never going to put it together. If you don't know the difference between the church and Israel and the church and the Gentiles and who you are in this special, special thing that God's doing called the church, if you don't know that, you're shot. You're going to read this Bible, and it's going to be marshmallow fluff to you. You're going to be like, what's going on here? But you start rightly dividing. You start learning some stuff about where you are in God's timeline and what God's doing with you. Man, it all makes sense. The news makes sense. Life makes sense. Everything makes sense when you just get saturated with this book. You got to know it. You got to know it. We're here for one reason, to help you know it. I'll answer your call anytime. I've been sitting in the hallway pacing Sloan Kettering and picked up the phone for some of you. I don't care. If somebody wants to learn the Bible, that makes me salivate. That makes my heart leap. That makes, somebody got a question about the Bible, I'll answer it. Some of you know. 5 a.m., I'll, I'll text you back when I'm getting ready for work. Right? And, other, and plenty of other guys here will do the same thing. Right? Because they want you to know this book. That's why we're here. So Monmouth County and this area around here will know what the Bible says. And if the place is full or empty, we got one objective. We want them to know what the Bible says. That's the mission, right? That's part of the mission. Now look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, because you're supposed to be growing in grace and knowledge, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. (laughs) If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus... You know, he's saying, hey, guys, if you're supposed to be growing in grace and knowledge, what do you know about? Do you know more about sports than the Savior? That would be a crying shame. Do you spend more time on social media than the scriptures? Yeah, I said it. I said it and I meant it. If you're sitting there scrolling for an hour through your feed that does nothing to feed you, but you spend no time feeding on what will feed you, you're an idiot. And I love you. God bless you. Happy New Year. Spend some time. 
feeding and you'll be better for it and God will get the glory. That was number three. Number four. Number four. Go to Mark chapter four. How are we doing so far? Are we okay? All right. Have a donut. Mark chapter four. Here's a fourth question. Ah, it's going to get tough now. Can you handle abuse and persecution better today than the day you got saved? You know what babies are all about? Babies and little children get upset about everything. Every little thing offends them. Oh, my toy, my this, my that, my that. Right, that's a baby. Question, are you easily offended? Or are you unoffendable? That's a pretty good litmus test whether you're growing or whether you're still a baby. If every time the preacher or the other brother or sister steps on your toes, you got your feathers in a ruffle and your underwear in a knot, and you're just like, oh, I'm going to tell this one, I'm going to tell that one, how dare he? Why don't you just check yourself before you wreck yourself? And why don't you just step back, Bubba Jack, and just like realize that, man, if you're growing, Amen. you can get over it. Amen. If you're growing. I'm not saying somebody clobbers you with a baseball bat. we got to call the police. I'm not saying that. But stuff's going to happen. Persecution's going to come. Psalm 119, 165 is the verse I hate the most in the Bible. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Why don't you have to put that in the Bible, God? I love the Bible. Do you really? Let me just step on your toes. How do you act? How do you respond? How do you react? Look at Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Jesus Christ talking about the parable of the sower. He says, The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And here's the next group. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves, no depth, no growth, no real foundation. And so endure but for a time afterward when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. You know what he's saying? Some people receive the word but never grow. They never get rooted. You know what happens? They stumble. They stumble when it gets tough. And they trip and they break their neck and they never get up. Or they give up or they get offended or they get mad at God and they walk out of church. They walk whatever they do, right? He says a lot of people are like that. That's one of your four grounds. Some of them do, oh, the Bible, oh, bless God, oh, be there next week, oh, praise the Lord, oh, I'm saved, glory to God. And then God lays a little bit of weight on the rack and you're like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. I didn't want to do this. I'm out. God, I'm, you, I'm you, you. God, how dare you? Really? You have to point over at the son with the holes in his hands and say, really? <laughs> you, you think you got it bad? You remember, the, you, remember the, you remember the whipping and the scourging my son took? Who was innocent? And you were guilty? And he was innocent? 
you know what I'm thinking about? Some people have the right book. And I, if you got yourself a King James Bible, you got the right book. But do you have any root? Anything going down beneath the surface where nobody can see that makes you strong? So when the winds blow, the tree doesn't fall over. It just stretches out those roots and gets stronger and stronger. You know, when the wind blows the tree, it forces the tree to push its roots out so it gets stronger and nobody can see it. You got anything going on behind the surface that nobody can see, but when the wind starts blowing, you stand? Or do you fall over? How do you handle affliction? How do you handle persecution? That's a good tell how mature or immature you are as a believer. Are you maturing through the struggle? Or are you ready to quit when the ride gets bumpy? Go to John chapter 16. I didn't think I was going to get a lot of amens there, so it's okay. John chapter 16. Don't worry, it gets good on the next page. John chapter 16. Jesus tells his disciples before he's getting ready to leave, he says, these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. Jesus Christ is in that upper room. He's telling his disciples the road is going to get rocky. I'm telling you in advance. So when it gets rocky, you don't stumble and fall. You don't get offended and quit. You don't give up. So my question is, as we finish this point, do you see opposition as Jesus spoiling your party or as part of God's perfecting plan in your life? Amen. One is a very immature perspective. Oh, God, why are you doing this? Oh, God, why'd you have it to me? Oh, well, it's New Year's Eve, God. Why my son got to go into the hospital tonight, God? Or, all right, Lord. All right. Okay. Or whatever it is you're going through. All right, Lord. Okay. Okay. Lord, I don't understand this. Lord, is there sin in my life, Lord? Okay, then don't sin in my life. Okay. Then I guess you're working something out, Lord. I don't understand, Lord, but I'm going to trust you with this, Lord. You know what that is? That's a root going down. And when the next thing comes, you'll stand. You're going to stand or you're going to stumble? Number, what am I up to? Somebody tell me. Five, see? I know you're taking notes. Yeah. Five. I can make the game. All right, five. Number five, go to Philippians 1. All right, Philippians 1. Again, it's just a spiritual check-in. Just wherever it hits, it hits. I got no knowledge of anything. I'm just throwing it all out there. Question five. Can you love your enemies better now than when you got saved? That's a real tough one. Talk about spiritual maturity. Read Philippians 1.27 with me. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs as ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. 
Brethren, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ in a wicked world, you're going to have enemies. You're not going to be looking for them, but they're going to be looking for you at the job, in the community, right? They're just going to find you out. (laughs) You'd be surprised the crazy emails I get from all the tracks that go out, you know? What about this? What about that? You're this, you're that. Okay, okay. You're going to have enemies, right? Jesus Christ had enemies. Now, sometimes I wish I was in the Old Testament because... Before Jesus Christ came, in the Old Testament, you could pray for the death of your enemies. And sometimes the Lord would grant it. But go to Luke chapter 6. We're not in that Old Testament. I know you got your list right now. You're like, you know, you'd clear out the government really fast. You're just like, you'd be ticking them off. Good thing you don't have lightning bolts at your disposal. Luke six twenty seven. Now, when Jesus Christ comes... He commands his followers to love their enemies. And we'll talk about what that means in a second. Luke 6, 27. But I say unto you which, to, which hear, are you listening? Love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye for sinners also? Lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. When you're immature, when you're a baby, you want to get your enemies back. Right? Watch two little kids. Biff them on the head. They're going to run, chase them around until they can biff them back. Right? You know, you, if I smite a baby on the cheek, a little kid on the cheek, get you, punch me in the gut. Right? They want to get each other back. That's the mark of an immature baby. Go to Romans chapter 12. You thought it was only in the Gospels. You were going to dispensationalize yourself out of that truth. You were trying. I know. You're like, Pat, did you see that bill that they're going to pass? Oh, man, I want to call down some fire. Right? The fire's coming, but it's not ours to deal out. Romans 12. You know when you're immature as a baby, you want to to get them back? But you know what happens when you mature? You don't want to get them back. You wait on God. You wait on God, you just keep doing good, because you know what you realize? Romans 12, that that's the best they're going to get, these wicked people. The best they're going to get is this life right now. Because if they don't get saved, they're going to go to hell and burn forever. So you know what? You be good to them. You be merciful to them. Because your father was merciful to you. And if the best they get is the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years on this earth, if that's the best they're going to have, then you be good to them. Don't let yourself get abused. Don't let them, you know, walk all over you. But you know what? Be kind to the unthankful and the evil like your father was kind to you. Romans 12, in the 
book of Romans, the doctrinal treatise by the Apostle Paul for the New Testament church under grace. Dearly beloved, verse 19, avenge not yourselves. Don't pay them back, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Like Jesus said, do good, do good, do good. They curse you out. God bless you. Have a good day. Right? There was a time when I just want to go back and forth with them. Just give it back to them. Oh, on the street, oh, I'd give it back to them, man. I get myself a lot of trouble for that, too. And sometimes you got to stick them a little bit. But you know what? Somebody now, blank you this, blank you that. Okay, have a nice day, man. Have a nice day. You don't want it? <clears throat> All right. Rip the track up, throw it in your face. All right, give it to the next guy. Amen. We know missionaries in Mexico. Now, this is tough. I don't think I could do this. I'm being honest with you. We know missionaries in Mexico, not missionaries we read about in a book, like missionaries that I talked to, that they were preaching on the streets in Mexico, and they'd come over and they'd crack them. These guys come by, uh, and they just hit them in the face. You know what they do? They put their arms behind their back and take it. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know how your hands don't come up and the elbow doesn't get thrown. I get that, but do good. Do good. Do good. Do good. Listen, when Jesus Christ's enemies nailed him to a cross, he prayed for their forgiveness. Are you growing into Christ? Are you? Maturing? Are you? Can you forgive your enemies? So how do you love your enemies? How do you do good to them? Forgive them. Forgive them. Are you more or less willing to forgive those who've wronged you, who've hurt you, who've betrayed you? Those are the ones you've got to love. Those are the ones you've got to forgive. It's easy to forgive my brother over here. Not that I need to, but you know. Because, you know, we're on the same team. It's hard to forgive somebody that's dead set against you. But the test of spiritual maturity is your ability to love and forgive your enemies like Jesus Christ did to his enemies. If you're growing into that Savior, I've read this account before, but I'm going to read it again. Corey Ten Boom is a great example of forgiving your enemies. She went through the Holocaust. She lost her sister in a concentration camp. And she, this account of her life about forgiveness... In mid-May 1945, the Allies marched to Holland to the unspeakable joy of the Dutch people. Despite the distractions of her work, Corey was still restless, and she desperately missed her beloved Betsy. Betsy was her sister who had died in a camp. But now she remembered Betsy's words, that they must tell others what they had learned. Thus began more than three decades of travel around the world as a, quote, tramp for the Lord, as Corey described herself. She told people her story of God's forgiveness of sins and of the need for people to forgive those who had harmed them. Corey herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrück. 
one who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, he wrote. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a god there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing, she writes, I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives is a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former SS man, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And Corey thrust out her hand. And as I did, she writes, an incredible thing took place. The current started my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then his healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I know you're hurt. And I know you feel like you can't. But all you got to do is just lift out your hand. And God will do the rest. But are you willing? That's a good sign of your maturity if you're willing. Number six, go to Colossians chapter three. There's a lot more to that Bible than what's the tribulation like. A lot more to that Bible than, tell me the difference between a seraphim and a cherubim. There's some stuff that's got to go down beneath the surface that nobody sees. Where the proverbial rubber meets the road. You could draw your dispensational chart as well, but if that doesn't change the way you act, 
doesn't help you love, doesn't help you forgive, then you're spitting in the wind. Here's a sixth question. Is heaven more real to you now than when you got saved? There's a song that we sing. We don't sing it in our hymn book, but it's a good song. Many of you know it. It's called Beulah Land. It's talking about our heavenly home. And the first line goes like this. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken, for time won't matter anymore. Aren't you homesick? You've never been there. You've never seen it. You never hung your hat and walked in the door and sat on the couch. But something deep down inside of you is aching to go there. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken, for time won't matter anymore. You know, when you got saved, I'll speak for myself, when I got saved, and you could say amen if it applies to you too, I was just relieved to escape the eternal hell I was going to. Amen? I was like, I am so guilty. You did that for me, Jesus. <clears throat> Where do I sign? Where do I sign? And it was like, whoo! I was just like, whoo! I'm in. That's what it says. Praise the Lord, I'm saved. But the more you grow, the more you should rejoice in the eternal home you are going to. Not just what you escaped, but what you got in front of you. Colossians 3 verse 1. I should have turned there. Colossians 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You're supposed to be thinking about the things up there more and more. And God wants you thinking about those things waiting for you up there. Why? So you long for them and you want to finish strong. Hey, Apostle Paul gets stoned. He gets rocked to sleep outside Lystra. He gets stoned. He gets a glimpse of heaven. You know what he does? He wakes up. He goes right back into the city. God says, all right, you got to go down. You saw it, Paul? It's nice. You like that? Don't talk about it. Don't you, don't, don't you, don't you say what you heard. Get back down there and go preach. Paul said, Paul gets up there, probably busted face, busted teeth, busted whatever. Where are you going, Paul? We're going back into Lystra. But they just stoned you in there. Yeah, I know. (laughs) He must have thought that was his ticket back to heaven. right? And the more you think about where you're going, it shouldn't give you a a death wish, but it should give you a heaven want. You should want to go. I know there's people that are lost, and I want to see them saved, and I don't want God to take us longer before we can get everybody that needs to get saved, get saved. I get that. But something deep down, I'm kind of (laughs) homesick. For a country to which I've never been before. I mean, something in you has got to be like, I want to (laughs) go. I want to go. If the trumpet sounded right now, there isn't a single problem that wouldn't be fixed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Go to Revelation 21. You want to see some of the things? God put some of those things in the Bible so you'd long for them. I know you can't totally get it, but you can get most of it. Revelation 21. 
Now, I know this isn't precisely heaven. This is your heavenly home descending out of heaven, so don't get crazy with me now. But uh, Revelation 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. This is your home, folks. New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself, a little pronoun himself is the reflexive. It means he's emphasizing the fact that it's him. God himself shall be with them. And be their God. You know, the first thing I see about these things is God Himself is going to be there living with us. We're going to be together with God. Now, maybe in a few days or, you know, whatever, the McCracken's got to go back to Rochester. They got to say goodbye to their family for a little while. But can't you realize a place where you're all going to be together? The ones that are here. The ones that are not here, the ones that have gone on before you, all together. No more goodbyes. And God himself, right there, in the midst of all of it. Don't that make you want to go? I know everybody in this room probably got somebody waiting up there. And beyond even if he didn't, guess what? You got God himself dwelling. How about verse 4? And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Can you just picture that? I know we read this verse a lot, but can you read it again with me? No more death? No more sorrow? No more pain? Hallelujah. No more crying. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Just in case you thought this was a pie in the sky type of belief, for the next 11 verses, God gives you building materials, dimensions. You could draw this. You could build this. This is not a cunningly devised fable. This is a real place that you're going to. There is this real thing up there that's going to one day descend, and you're going to be inhabiting it. And when you read about those building materials, when you read about that splendor, when you read about it's breathtaking. Your home is breathtaking. We can picture it, artists draw it, but you'll never do it justice. You'll never get it as great as it is. What does 1 Corinthians tell us? I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. Watch it. The things which God hath, watch that word again, prepared for them that love him. You see verse number two? See what that city is? That city is coming out of heaven prepared. There's something up there prepared for you. What did Jesus say in John 14? 
I go and prepare a place for you. Revelation 21, 22. I'm just scratching the surface here. You could preach on this all year. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. You know what I see there in this place? You're finally going to look upon the Lamb with brand new eyes. No darkness, no need for a flashlight, just the Lamb. Nothing between you and Him. No more sea, just you and Him together. And His light, you're in His, in thy light shall we see light. You're just going to be walking in the light as He is in the light. I mean, can you picture it? Can you picture looking Jesus Christ square in the face with new eyes, eyes that never wander, eyes that never look away, eyes that never weave just, because if your eyes, if your eyeballs were in front of Jesus Christ, they'd melt. So he's got to give you a new body with new eyes, right? I got a bad eye. I'm going to get a new eye. I'm going to get a new eye and I'm going to look upon, you're going to see him with your eyeballs, not a fuzzy mist, you know, like this weird thing in the ether. No, you're going to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with nothing between you, and you look him right in the eyes. And you'll be able to say, I love you, and he'll say, I love you. And there's going to be nothing between you. You won't have to blush because you'll be shining like gold. That's what's coming. Verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You'll finally be home with all of God's family, safe and sound forever. Now, I, I know, Brother Danny, you've got family all over the place. you got people in California, people in Rochester. It must have felt good, brother, to have them all together, right? Amen? All safe and sound under one roof. How do you think the father feels when all of his children, past, present, and future, are all just gathered together? Safe and sound. Sin will have been dealt with. No more defilement's going to enter in. You don't have to worry about the devil anymore. You don't have to worry about your flesh anymore. It's just going to be the work that God has going into eternity. Man, oh man. Don't that make you want to go? I mean, when you're going on vacation, or you're going to move into a new house or a new area, you know what you do? You read about it. (laughs) Oh, we're going to go here. We're going to do there. I'm going to play this. We're going to do that. We're going to eat here. We're going to eat there. We're going to eat here. Let's eat there. Right? We do all this stuff. You read about where you're going. You don't just get off the plane or get off the car and just say, I'm here. Let's figure it out. No, you planned it out. Day two, we're doing this. Day three, we're doing that. Day four, we're doing this. You plan it out. You get it. And as the day approaches, you get excited about it. Don't you? Like, wow, two more days till we leave. One more day till we leave. You know, we're leaving tomorrow. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Hey, if you're growing in the knowledge of that place, shouldn't it make you kind of homesick? Shouldn't the thought of the countdown getting closer every day kind of warm your heart a little bit? Unless you're out of fellowship with God, then you're like, oh, man, don't make it be today. But if you are, just, Lord, let it be today. And if it's not today, let my heart be ready that it's today, Lord. Let me live as if it is today. Like the song finishes up. 
I'm looking now across the river to where my faith shall end in sight. There's just a few more days to labor. Then I will take my heavenly flight. Beulah land. I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. I know what number we're up to. Number seven, right? You're taking notes, number seven. Number one, do you love God in the Bible more today than the day you got saved? Number two, do you trust the promises of God more today than the day you got saved? Number three, do you understand who you are in Christ more today than when you first got saved? Number four, can you handle abuse and persecution better today than the day you got saved? Number five, can you love your enemies better now than when you got saved? Number six, is heaven more real to you now than when you got saved? And number seven, is hell more real to you now than when you got saved? Luke 16 is where we'll end. I couldn't just give you all sugar. Luke 16. Last verse, last spot. <clears throat> you know, Jesus Christ preached more about hell than he did heaven. You know that, right? Probably conservatively eight messages on hell in three and a half years. I don't know if I've ever preached a message entirely on hell, but it'd be good to get a message on hell at least once a year. Jesus Christ did it more than once a year. Three, eight messages in three and a half years, that's, right, that's almost two a year, right? Why did he do that? Didn't want anybody to go there. Are you growing into Christ? Are you growing into the one that preached more about hell than he did heaven? I know we just read our last point. It's exciting to think about where you're going. Amen. It's exciting to think about heaven, to think about streets of gold, to think about uh, populating the universe, to think about all the plans God has for us going forward, to think about all those things. It's exciting to speculate in those areas. But at the same time, it's got to be sobering to consider where others are going. Because at the same time you're going up, it's going down for some people. And it's like bittersweet. I know. And a big part of maturity is the ability to think beyond yourself for someone else. So Christians, I ask you, do you ever think about the lost that are all around you, at work, at school, at play? The lost people that, while you're going to heaven, if today was the last day, would be going to hell. That's maturity. Luke 16, look at this, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. This is not a parable. This is not like the tares and the wheat. This is a certain man. This is a real person. But he doesn't give the name because he could be any man. He could be your neighbor. He could be your cousin. He could be your spouse. He could be your friend. He could be the person that's next to you at school, the person in front of you online at Wawa. Any man. You ever think 
how this man could be any man and every man you know who isn't saved? This man is every person you know that's lost. That's who this man is. You want to see some things about this man? Verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. You know what's going to happen to that person that you, don't, that you know isn't saved? He's going to die. He may live like a king. He may have a beautiful castle somewhere over there in you know, whatever neighborhood. He might have a beautiful three-car garage and horses. I don't know. He might have stuff that makes you so jealous. Oh, I wish I could have that. Makes you envious. Oh, Lord, I'm going to skip out on all this church so I can make some more money so I can get stuff like that. I know what's going to happen. I know how God works in your, the devil works in your heart. He's, that man, you know what's going to happen to that man? He's going to die. And none of the stuff that he's accumulated is going to go with him. He's going to die. It's appointed unto men once to die. You know what's going to happen when he dies? Verse 23. And in hell. That's where he's going. He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. That man, picture him right now. You got somebody in your head? Thinking of somebody right now? That lost person you know? They, may be, they be, may might be doing good and bless God if they're doing good. Nobody hates on the fact that people got stuff. Praise God if you've been blessed. Amen. We're not hating on that. I'm not like that. But don't, when he, he, that person's going to die. And when that person dies, he's going to hell. Not Hades, not Gehenna, not Sheol, H-E double hockey sticks. Hell. And he's going to suffer for his sins against the holy God. Is that relevant enough for you? Is that contemporary enough for you? (laughs) Right? Not separation from God, burning, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. You see that person in your mind right now? That guy at the job, that lady at the supermarket? That's where they're going if they die. What's going to happen? 24... And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. You know what's going to happen when he dies? He's going to go to hell. He's going to suffer for his sins. He's going to have no relief, no respite, no water to cool him off, no time out, no parlay, none of that stuff. It's going to be as you're enjoying nonstop bliss, he's, he's experiencing nonstop agony. You say, why? He rejected God. He rejected goodness. He rejected love. He rejected peace. He rejected forgiveness. What do you get when you reject God? That's what you get. You get torment. 25. But Abraham said, son... Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. He said, Abraham says, listen, there's a big gulf here. You can't come to us and we can't go to you. You know what that man, you got her, you got her in your mind right now? Cousin, friend, neighbor, you got him in your mind? 
I'm thinking of mine too. I'm preaching this message in me. You got one? It's going to die. Going to go to hell. Going to have no relief and going to have no hope. No chance you're climbing over that gulf. No chance you're going from hell to paradise. No chance in hell, literally, of you making it across that gulf. He says, we can't come to you, and you can't come to us. That man is absolutely hopeless. Can you just fathom that? Can you fathom that? If you died, you're going to open your eyes. You know it's going to roar through your mind like a freight train. It was all true. It was all true, and it's even better than I imagined it. Can you just picture that thought of waking up in heaven just like the lightness you're going to feel of knowing that it really, oh, I know you believe, but it's going to be something to see with your eyes, right? I mean, it's going, wow. Can you imagine the antithesis, the horror of waking up and realizing the preacher was right, the track was right, the scripture sign was right, and I missed it. I missed it. I missed it. And now I'm L-O-S-T. Not just unsaved. That's not a Bible word. I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost. And as you're enjoying the reality of bliss forever, the reality that I am here forever, and all I get is a chance to get thrown into a lake of fire, is washing over you like torment. And you're just gnashing your teeth. I should have gotten saved. I should have gotten saved. I should have believed the Bible. I should have believed the preacher. And now I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost. You know what this guy wants? 27. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may come unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. You know this guy who's got no hope, who's got no relief? You know all he wants? All he wants is someone to go and tell his family. All he wants is someone to go and warn his loved ones so they don't go to hell like him. Wow. And he's still beneath your feet crying that prayer. He's still beneath your feet screaming and hoping somebody would go to his father's house. Somebody would warn his brethren. He's still there. I know it's not a pleasant way to end the message. But you know what happens when you grow up? Little kids, big kids. You know when you grow up, and I'm, I'm still working on it. When you grow up, you face inconvenient truths that are not always pleasant. Babies don't want to hear it. Oh, don't talk about that. Oh, don't talk about that. It's New Year's. Oh, don't talk about that. It's Christmas. When do you want to talk about it? You want to talk about it when they go to hell number two? Right? No, now's the time to talk about it. And when you grow, if you want to grow, face the inconvenient truth that is not pleasant to think about, that all those people around you that are lost are that man. And if they don't get saved, we'll share the fate of that man. And if you could take that and humble your heart with that, and instead of just turning it off, get on your knees and say, Lord, give me an opportunity. I'm not saying you got to go bust everybody's door open today, but Lord, let me be ready. Let me be prepared. Let me get some tracks. Let me start praying for some people. Let me put some names on a list and start praying and waiting for those open doors when they come. That's a start. That would be some growth. Will you be that someone 
who's willing to go and warn someone else so that man doesn't go to hell. Happy New Year. Because at New Year's, like we said, we're supposed to resolve, right? You got resolutions, which you're going to break in two weeks, but I won't, I won't spoil your fun. But we, we got these resolutions to get better. I want to learn to play an instrument. I want to lose those 50 pounds, whatever it is, right? You got these resolutions. Well, will you resolve to improve spiritually? <laughs> will you resolve to be a better Christian next year than you were this year, if the Lord tarries? Because it's time to grow up, church. It's time to put away childish things, put the stroller away, put the baba away, and it's time to grow up. If you need to get discipled, it's time to get discipled. If you need to disciple somebody else, it's time to disciple somebody else. If there's something that God wants you to do or be, it's time. It's time. You'll weigh in to start that diet that you're going to break in two weeks. Will you take some time to do a spiritual check-in? Will you? We'll just go in one ear and out the other. Because if you don't know where you are, how are you ever going to get to where you want to be in Jesus Christ? Take a little bit of time to do a spiritual check-in. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads.